Hello again, Fight Fans. Welcome to episode number 219, 219 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, and today we'll be joined by very, very special guest, sports commentator Todd Grisham. This guy, of course, right now, you guys know him for calling fights on the zone, but he was with ESPN back in the day on Friday Night Fights. He's worked in wrestling, WWE, MMA, boxing, uh, kickboxing, all over the place. So that's going to be awesome to talk with him. But uh, he'll join us in probably about 15 minutes. Before I get into that, I just wanted to cover a few things. And, uh, of course, we'll have your guys' questions, and you can call in. The phone lines are open. We have a local number here in the U.S. of A and a local number in the U.K. Give us a little bit of time, though, because we will have our guest on the show, like I said, in about 15 minutes. Excited to have Todd on. He's a pretty damn cool guy, and uh, I love the way he goes about his work because he doesn't do the announcer guy voice. Todd Grisham, his voice it's it's always the same. Like, the way he calls fights and everything, it's the way he talks in real life. I just So he really puts a lot of himself into his uh, broadcasting and everything, and I, I really enjoy that. I'm also really interested to talk to him about the differences between UFC, kickboxing, boxing, wrestling, all that stuff, because he's worked all over the place. But uh, a couple things. Okay, before I get started, guys, I want to put you on to something from Contenders Clothing. I've talked about Contenders Clothing before. You guys know I don't do sponsorships here on the show, um, on, on the channel. I, you know, I have ads here on YouTube. By the way, some of you guys have complained about the ads. Look, I don't pick the ads, and I don't pick how many ads there are. That is 100% up to Google. And I know sometimes Google bombards the freaking videos with ads. I, I apologize, everyone. I have zero control over that. Honestly, I do. Zero control. Just click the skip ad button. I know it's a pain in the ass, but just click that button. If it really drives you that nuts, just wait and listen to the audio version of the show on Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever it is. Okay, it's that simple. Anyway, back to Contenders Clothing. I don't plug a lot of stuff on the show unless I believe in it. And uh, last time I was in Los Angeles, Contenders Clothing, it's a clothing company. Uh, I think they're originally out of Vegas. L.A., now they're in L.A., California, and last time I was out there in L.A. covering Spence Porter at Staples, they put on an event there, a little media dinner. They they work with a lot of fighters, and they were sponsoring John Molina, and John Molina and his family were there. There was a lot of boxing media royalty, a lot of fighters. Uh, It was an awesome event, and they invited Tiffany and I. I got to meet those guys. They reached out to me, which I thought was really, really awesome. And when I got to know them a little bit, I saw that they're legit. They work with fighters, and they're doing a thing right now where the proceeds from their the sales of this shirt that I'm wearing, let me see if I can get this on camera here. This shirt says, remember in the movie Rocky, he says, all I want to do is go the distance with Creed, right? This says going the distance, but there's the word social over it, going the social distance. This is an awesome tee. They got a couple of these dark gray, light gray. And guys, the proceeds from these shirts, they are giving to fighters in need who are affected by the COVID-19 crisis, the quarantine situation. You guys know the superstar fighters, it's really not affecting their livelihood much because they're fine. They're multimillionaires. And guys like Gary Russell, he only fights once a year anyway. So this ain't bothering him one iota. But the young guys, the guys just starting out, all those guys really, really could use help. Because if you don't fight, you don't get paid. 
And let me just read this right off Contender's site. Um, Proceeds from this shirt go directly to professional fighters affected by the COVID-19 crisis. Any fighter can sign up right now for direct payment sent out the first week of May. So these guys will send money straight to the fighter. No bullshit, no skimming off the top. All the proceeds going right to the fighters. All proceeds from the Go to Social Distance fundraiser t-shirt and 10% off sales at contendersclothing.com go to the fund. I also want to give you guys a discount code when you go check them out. Don't quit when you check out. for if, Whatever you buy there, when you go to check out, type in the words don't quit. No uh, spaces. D-O-N-T-Q-U-I-T. And you'll get a discount. I think it's 10%. It might actually be 25%. But anyway, guys, again, I don't plug a lot of stuff on the show. But you guys know the stuff that I have plugged, it's legit. It's from real boxing people doing stuff that's passionate, that matters, that's really, really helping and affecting lives in the sport, not just people giving me shit, okay? So I want to make sure you guys check them out because how freaking cool is that, that they're helping fighters? We see a lot of people talking about doing the right thing, but how many people are actually stepping up and doing it? So this is pretty damn cool. Make sure you guys check them out. Now, I want to talk about YouTube real quick. and then. Um, our guest will be on. If he's not ready uh, after this, then we'll go to a couple questions because I got some stuff from Facebook and Twitter from a few of you guys. But YouTube. Okay, so I talked about the ads. By the way, uh, Super Chat Pledge, speaking of YouTube, from Soap Boxing Podcast. Thank you very, very much for the, uh, for the Super Chat. I appreciate that. He says, I have Clarissa Shields Friday, 6.30 p.m. Central Time. That's awesome, bro. All right, guys, so check out Soap Boxing Podcast. He has Clarissa Shields on his show this Friday, 6.30 Central Time, obviously 7.30 Eastern Time, 4.30 Pacific Time. Make sure you guys check him out. That's great, man. That's great. Awesome. for Good for you, bro. Um, okay, YouTube ads. I talked about that, guys. I have no control over it, so sorry. But another thing I don't have any control over that's driving me nuts is the changes that YouTube has made in the algorithm. And it's making me consider taking this show and my whole profile off of YouTube and just building my own website and doing everything independently off my site. That would be a massive project on a massive scale that would take a lot of money and time and energy. So I'm not there yet, but I'm starting to consider it because one thing I've noticed with YouTube, who of course is owned by Google, they're changing the algorithms and hooking up their buddies in the corporate world more and more and more. And you guys have seen it. It's a nonpartisan thing, but if you look at CNN, Fox News, Disney, ESPN, across the board, Comedy Central, TBS, whoever has a YouTube channel, they've all really, really skyrocketed in terms of their numbers, their subscriberships, because YouTube has bumped all of them up because they're hooking each other up behind closed doors. That's how this shit always happens. It's, you know, people at the very top just hooking each other up. That's the way this shit always goes. I hate it because YouTube used to be something that was truly, truly for the people. And it was an awesome tool for regular people to get their voice out there. And that still exists. You could still get your voice out there. But guys, I, I logged in through VPN and just searched my name in boxing. And I'm way down the list. Now, here's what's crazy. I did that same experiment. I do it like once a year, but I, I remember doing that like three years ago when my platform was half as, as big as it is now. 
And I was on the first page at the top. If you typed in Michael Montero Boxing, boom, I was right there because how many guys have my name and do boxing stuff? Now, you type in Michael Montero Boxing, there's a bunch of ESPN shit with Teddy Atlas. There's Mike Tyson's Smoked Out Podcast. There's all this Glovegate bullshit from these whack job teenagers who don't even like boxing. There's all this shit. And then you get down to me. And I'm not, now, I can hear some of you right now going, oh, all Montero does is talk about himself. Shut up and give me five minutes. <laughs> because this is an issue. This is a big issue. It's something that uh, I've talked about with a few of you guys, and a few of you have reached out to me to have channels like my size. Apparently, the algorithm changes at 10,000 subs. And I noticed I hit 8,000 last year, like maybe six, seven months ago, and it's just stalled at 8,000. It's just stalled there. So YouTube's definitely changing things. And some of you guys are subscribed, then a week later you're unsubscribed. So I, I think somehow I'm on a list that's getting shadow banned, uh, which is happening to a lot of people. I only bring this up, guys, because I ask you just to, I bring it up every week, but I really, really ask you to make sure that you make sure you are subscribed and you click the damn notifications bell. Not only that, but it goes a hell of a long way if you get the word out and you tell your boxing bros, your boxing girls about the show. All right. So tweet it out there, blast it out there. And that's what helps. That's what helps get the word out get those subs up and maybe someday we can compete with the corporate overlords. But right now it's very, very clear what YouTube and Google are doing. They're trying to bump up all the big corporate channels and they're pushing down the independent operators like me. Isn't that the way it always goes, man? The little guy always gets screwed over. But uh, so yeah, just remember that everybody make sure that you are subscribed and make sure that you're sharing the videos and sharing the channel and getting the word out there. All right, let me see. Is Todd on yet? Todd is not on yet. So let me go to um, let me go to a quick question. I got a few questions here again from Facebook, from Twitter, and um, I, I, you know a few of you guys have asked me about the YouTube thing. About some of you guys are just getting started with your channels. Um, it's going to take you a, a long time to build up uh, the the subscribers. You just have to keep posting material. Guys, you have to realize that, and I'm sure it's like this with every subject. It's not just boxing, but if you go back to the beginning of YouTube, I think YouTube's been around for like 15 years or something. I know it's been at least 10 years. There were a few channels that started like 10, 11 years ago on YouTube, and those were the original channels. The the few of those guys that stuck around, they've become the few channels that have like 100,000 or more subscribers the only other way you can get up to that is if you buy a bunch of subscribers. There are services. You guys have seen them. You can buy followers on Twitter, on Instagram, subscribers on YouTube, and basically fake your way, you know, fake it till you make it, as they say. I'm not going to do that shit. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to buy YouTube subscribers. I don't buy my Twitter followers or Instagram followers. I'm just not going to do that shit. You guys know the people that are out there doing it because you see some of these uh, channels that have 10,000, 20,000 subs and their videos do 400 views or whatever it is. So you know who's doing it. I'm not going to be that guy. The way I look at it, I do get some ad revenue from YouTube, but guys, it's pennies on a dollar. 98% of the ad revenue, which by the way, I don't choose what ads they use or how many they do or where they put them, but I get maybe two cents off the dollar that they make. YouTube gets the rest. 
They take that shit. I've made YouTube thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. The last thing I'm going to do is spend thousands more buying subscribers. That's fucking nuts. So again, I ask you, make sure that you're subscribed and get the word out, okay? Um, But if you guys are just starting out, the only advice I can give you, just keep posting videos, okay? The original five channels or so, those are always going to be the big ones. They're super, super duper big ones. And it's going to be very difficult for anyone to catch up to that unless you do the race baiting, the click baiting, you know, glove gate, all that kind of stuff. And you guys know what channels do that. And a few of them, it's worked out for them. Other than that, you're going to be somewhere in the middle. Okay, so just keep posting material and do it the right way. And you'll, you'll your channel will grow. All right. Now, once you get close to 10,000, YouTube and Google will do everything they can to keep you under 10,000. Because once you hit 10,000, you're in another stratosphere. It changes the algorithm. And YouTube wants to keep a little bit more of their money. They keep a little bit less once you hit that number. So they will work extra hard to keep you down. Unless you're with Disney or something and you're paying them under the table. Then your shit just boosts up artificially. All right. I'll stop ranting about YouTube. Let's get to a question here. Nigel Hins on the old Twitter, he asks, uh, do you think the WBC has damaged their credibility with the whole emailing the the lightweight title to Devin Haney twice? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I do. But this isn't the first time the WBC has pulled some shit like this. So uh, good question, Nigel. I mean, I've been talking about this the last uh, few episodes, really. But yeah, man, they, 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 this is just what they do, man. They, um, they've done this multiple times. And um, I think they're going to continue doing it. I think you're going to see more of these titles in recess. Or uh, what do they do now? The diamond title. They did the title. Dude, they had a belt for the Mayweather-McGregor fight. They're going to get in anywhere they can. Now, McGregor, McGregor obviously was a sports superstar. And Mayweather was a boxing champion, a, you know, a great Hall of Fame level fighter. So I kind of understand that. The situation with Devin Haney at lightweight was especially egregious and screwed up. And to reinstate him as champion during the COVID pandemic, a global pandemic, where there's a quarantine ordered and there's no boxing happening, it's just so idiotic because when boxing was here, You screwed over a complete lightweight unification to email a prospect a title. A prospect, not a contender, a prospect. And then you elevated Lomachenko to franchise champion. And, of course, people will use that as an agenda, you know, with their agenda and say, oh, Lomachenko, duck it, Haney. Meanwhile, he's fighting Teofimo Lopez, who's far more proven. If Teofimo Lopez and Devin Haney fought right now, I would favor Lopez. Now, Five years from now, I would favor Haney. But right now, I'd favor Lopez. And that's who Lomachenko's fighting right now. But he ducking Haney. So the WBC just gave those people fuel for their fire. Then he's injured and has to get surgery. So you say, okay, we're going to do a vacant title. And I think they had Luke Campbell versus, I can't remember who was supposed to fight for the vacant title. And then during this global pandemic, quarantine, He's resting, he's feeling good, so you email him the title again and reinstate him as champion. What the fuck? Talk about mishandling something. The WBC is actually not the worst. The WBA is by far the worst. But that is a situation that they royally screwed up. And I don't know how you justify 
defending uh, Devin Haney right now. Uh, look, he's just, fighters love titles. So, you know, I understand what he's doing, but I don't understand how you could defend the WBC and what they did it, with the whole Lomachenko thing and the franchise champion. It's just ridiculous. It's a bad look. But maybe there's some sneaky genius to them reinstating Haney as champion now because everything's on pause. Everything's on break. So when boxing does come back, oh, he's champion, and the 24-hour news cycle will have run over 100 times by then anyway. So uh, it'll be yesterday's news. Anyway, let's uh, jump over to the guest hotline and get our guest on the phone here. I think he's on the line. Let's see here. Mr. Todd Grisham of The Zone. Are you there, sir? I am, Michael. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, my man. Can you hear me good? How do I sound? Yeah, do I sound okay? You sound good, man. You sound good. Uh, if we have any audio right. issues, the uh, live listeners will let me know. It has happened a few times because I'm a moron when it comes to technology. So if, uh, <laughs> if uh, the audio is bad, they will let me know pretty, uh, pretty, sh- pretty soon. So it looks like we're good to go. Um, so let's start with the... Uh, I guess the cliche question, I know you've been doing a lot of podcasts right now recently, man, but um, I know the first question is always the same, the COVID thing, the quarantine life, how is that affecting you? Because you're in Alabama, right? I know different states have kind of different levels of quarantine and stuff. Where is Alabama at and how has all this affected you guys? I'm actually in Connecticut, believe it or not. I have a uh, oh, okay, okay. Uh, house here in, in Connecticut right near ESPN where I used to work. So right now that I'm in Connecticut. Sense. My three kids bounce back between me and my uh, ex-wife who's just down the road from me. So it's it's been okay. It just sucks. The weather's so bad here. You know, I wish I was in Alabama right now. It'd be beautiful. We'd be swimming. But, I mean, today it's like 35, 38 degrees outside right now with three little kids. You can't go to the park. You can't do anything. So you sit here and scream and yell at each other all day and then go to bed. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> okay, well, that makes sense, yeah. Well, I saw the Connecticut area code when you called, and then uh, and then I know you were you were at Bristol for a while, and that's the question I was going to ask you. When you, I imagine you moved up there when you got the gig with ESPN in 2011, right? Correct. Well, I was in, I was in Connecticut uh, working for WWE, which is in Stanford, Connecticut. Ah, uh, okay. And then uh, I ended up making my way up a little north, northern, a little more northern in the state. And uh, that's where I am right now. So trust me, Connecticut is not my ideal destination for like a vacation or anything, but uh, it has its pluses and minuses. And one of the minuses is the winter and bad weather seems to go on for eternity. Yeah, dude, tell me about it. I grew up in Michigan. I'm from Detroit. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. You're basically in Canada. I mean, once you get north yeah. of New York, I mean, even, even upstate New York, that's just Canada. So yeah, where you guys are at yeah. right now. Actually, it was like, it was pretty cold here yesterday, but in the 30s, fuck that. I'm not dealing with that shit no more. I, I <laughs> well, you know, people think, oh, people are like, North Dakota's so cold and all those plays, Minnesota. I said, man, look where we are on the on the horizon with these guys. We're just as north as they are. You don't think it's that cold, but yeah, man, it's it, freezing up here. So, How close are you but to the it, water? It, it's, the, the, not that close, right in the middle of the state. Okay, to get okay. to the ocean or to the Long Island Sound, it's, I guess, like an hour, hour and 15 minutes. But, you know... I will say this, it's it's great to be with family and stuff. Physically, I'm doing great. Mentally, though, like most people in the boxing profession right now, no fights means no money. So right now, everyone's just kind of, you know, like we do in Alabama, duct tape and chicken wire just to get on down the road <laughs> a little bit so this thing gets back on track. 
I hear you, man. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, it, for me, like on the news side of things, there's no fucking news. So there's like nothing to talk about. I'm trying to keep it creative <laughs> right. on my show. They're trying to you know, get articles out there for Ring Magazine, for the website. There's just not a whole lot going on. But um, let's see. I want to talk about a few different things uh, with you. You know, so you just talked about no fights, no money. I think a lot of people are curious about how, like, a guy like you, who obviously you have a contract with the zone, how that works out, like financially, do you get paid salary or is it literally per gig where you get like a per diem? Or does, does, well, it, does you know, it depend I, I on the contract, for, I guess? It, it's all different for contract. I mean, okay. it, every contract's different. It's just like ESPN. If, um, you know, when Dan Patrick was there, if Dan Patrick called a football game, it's probably part of his contract. But if they bring in, uh, you know, a guy that just calls, uh, Pac-12 games on Saturday, he probably gets whatever it is, five, six grand a game to go call the game and be done with it. So as long as he's calling games, he's doing fine. And in the big scheme of things, sometimes you can make more money doing that thing, doing it that way. But obviously you lose some of the job security, which a lot of people would love to have right now. Yeah, that's, you're so right, man. And it's, it's really like the same thing with Ring and with, with us guys in the media, because people ask that all the time, like, yeah. okay, you know, I was with Boxing Monthly, you know, we're, we're phasing out. Actually, this month is our last month there. And I've been with Ring now for a, a couple of years. And people ask me, you know, are you salary? How, how do you get paid? How does it work? It's, it's literally per contract most of the time. And so when there's nothing to report about, it hurts. It hurts everybody. You know, right? it's, it's hurting the fighters. It's hurting, like, there's that 1% at the top that has those great, sweet deals, you know, or you got, like, that awesome contract where you're just getting a salary uh, every other week or whatever. But for the other 99% of right. us, yeah, man, you're just trying to hustle. this a nickel here and a nickel there. <laughs> it's just how it is. Yeah. Uh, it's just how boxers are. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, Triple G has a massive contract with the zone. But if he doesn't fight, he doesn't get any money. They're not just paying him money because he's with the zone. He's got to fight those fights. Right. So, uh, you know, and that, even more so for these, you know, guys that are just coming along the way, you know, these guys that are 23, 24 years old who have 10 to 15 fights. I mean, you know what? Some of these guys are fighting for literally hundreds of dollars per fight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys. I, I think a lot of fans have a misconception. I mean, the overwhelming majority of fighters – are fighting for peanuts. And a lot of these guys have full-time jobs and boxing is something they do on the side. A lot of these guys, it's the same thing with fight media too, including guys that like colleagues of yours, colleagues of mine that are like, you know, quote unquote, A-lister people. A lot of these guys have side gigs because, you know, right. the, the money in boxing, it's really, really good when you're at the very, very top, you know, but I, I, under that, you're kind of fighting, you know, um, I want, right. to talk, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, something I'm curious about with you, man, because I was talking about this at the top of the show when I said you were going to be on. One of the things I like about you and your delivery is the way you call fights and the way you describe everything, the action happening is the way you talk in real life. You don't, you don't put on the announcer <laughs> guy voice because there's a lot of guys out there that put, out, put on that voice. Uh, is, but you do project, you know, and, I'm just curious because you actually studied communications in school, right? So, so you knew you wanted to go right. into this field. Is your voice something that you worked on? Is it something you always had? Did you take any specific classes or training for that kind of stuff? Well, it's interesting. A lot of people say I sound like Kermit the Frog. So <laughs> I'm glad. For, thank you for the compliment, bit. Michael, that you like my <laughs> voice. But 
some people hate my voice and then I'll get people that will say, man, you have the perfect announcer voice. So who knows? But when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was be a DJ. And when I mean DJ, I'm talking about our old school DJ, like Wolfman Jack and okay. Kid Kelly and all these guys, Casey Kasem. I wanted to be on the radio Casey talking. Kasem. So I bought this book. Exactly. You know, uh, here's your long distance request and dedication. <laughs> so I used to always, I would wake that up every morning because I bought this book. It was, it was called On the Air. On the Air. I don't know why I remember that, but it was just how to be a DJ. And the book at the time was even 10 years old, but it had these throat exercises to deepen your voice. So it said first thing in the morning when you wake up, before you utter a word, you should just go oh, and hold it as long as you can, like 20 times. So literally I'm eight years old in my room before I would go to school every day. Oh, <laughs> sound like I'm doing spiritual yoga or meditation. Right, my right, mom yeah. was like, what is this Some kid doing? But I was trying to deepen deep in my voice and i remember when i got started at wwe my voice was still a lot higher than it is now and i went to my boss at the time and said hey i'm ready to call monday night raw give me the keys man i want the big show and he goes listen to how you sound he goes you need to start smoking cigarettes or something get your voice lower <laughs> they like that was the thing i had such a high-pitched voice so and it, it, it everything amplifies too when the louder or more emotional you get in a fight i mean you've heard it across the spectrum some of the great times, great calls of all time, the guy just loses his voice because he's screaming so loud and so out of his mind. Right. So, uh, but, but what I do before every show is I do a couple uh, voice exercises to loosen my throat. And I, when I talk, I try and talk from my stomach, which prevents you from, you know, straining your vocal cords. Uh, when I'm doing kickboxing, some fights, some, some nights I'm calling 14 fights in a row. So I try and give as much energy to the first guy as I do the last guy. So when there's a, you know, people talk about fighters not being able to, to step up without fans in the, the audience, you know, they don't want to fight in empty stadiums. I'm like, man, try going out there and giving it energy when you're sitting at uh, the, the Staples Center and there's literally 30 people in the crowd. Yeah. You know, I called it a Dillian White fight, believe it or not. I think it was in, uh, it may have been in uh, Omaha on the Bud Crawford's card. He was super, like one of the first or second fights out of the gate, whatever it was, just trying to stay busy fight. There was no one there, but I was trying to give him the same same energy that I give for the main event. Yeah, you know, I've I've called a couple of live cards myself, just club level shows for the most part, uh, mostly in California, but a couple on the East Coast, mm -hmm. and um, it, it it is it, there's a lot of moving parts to that gig that I think people don't realize. There's somebody talking in your ear. There's a guy. There's a few guys next to your ringside, pointing and pulling, and you know, getting you in different directions. So um, the energy that you guys got to have. I mean, especially for, like on the zone, you guys are calling a ton of fights, right? Those are stacked cards right. and you're broadcasting the whole show. So uh, the energy it takes, it's a lot. And um, it's definitely harder yeah. than it looks. Um, what are some of the misconceptions that you think a lot of fans have? Because you guys get bashed. Commentators get bashed a lot by fight fans. You know, if you stutter one time, it can become a meme on Twitter and people are like, oh, this guy sucks. What are some of the misconceptions right. uh, that you think fans have? Well, I mean, if you look at the big, the big scheme of things right now, I don't care who you, who you say, whether it's Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, uh, Cindy Crawford, you tell me any human being on the planet, Jesus Christ, Muhammad, whatever, there's going to be a section of society that hates them and thinks they are ugly or terrible at their job or just a bad person. So that's just the way it is in the Twitter sphere. 
I mean, Joe Buck is an amazing, amazing announcer. Bob Costas, probably the best ever. But there's probably 20 to 25% of sports fans who think these people should be drug out on a field and shot dead. I mean, that's just the way it is. So I try and look past that. I mean, that's most of the time people that criticize you, I don't want to say they're jealous of you. Of course, they're jealous of the job you have, but they think they can do it better. So anytime someone comes at me that way, they're like, oh, I'd be so much better than you. I'm like, okay, next show, hit your iPhone, hit the record button, start when I start, and call the six-hour show, the eight fights or whatever right, it is, right. and then send it to me. And I'll, uh, we'll put it up against mine, and we'll, we'll post it, and we'll see who did a better job. And no one's ever taken me up on the offer. Of course Because it's, not. it's so hard to do. Of yeah. course. And it's not just any, anybody can stand there and say, right hand, he threw a left hand, he punched him in the stomach. Put, but what is that doing? That's nothing. To call the fight and to try to tell these guys stories and not say the wrong word or the wrong phrasing and to ask the right questions and to be funny and to get all the, the nuts and bolts done – the zone needs you to, to sell this copy and to promote this show and to bring this guy in here and you're directing traffic. There's so many things that go on besides me just sitting there watching a fight with my buddy. But if you're good at your job, people at home, that's what they feel like. I want people to feel like they're sitting right next to me and Sergio. We're having beers. We're watching the fights and we're talking about it. Yeah, and that's definitely the vibe you give off. That's why I'm a fan of yours, man. I, I like uh, Again, I feel like the way you call a fight, is the way you're talking to me right now. And that's something that I always try to do whenever I'm doing a radio spot or whatever it is, you know, hosting a show or whatever. I try to talk to people the way I talk to people. It's the same way I do a show. Uh, and you just talked about, you know, a six-hour broadcast or whatever on fight night. But that doesn't take into account fight week. And you guys are traveling. Right. You know, if you're in Bristol, then shit, man, you're flying all over the country because there's not <laughs> a lot of action in Bristol or that area, I should say. Right. So um, can you just briefly describe, again, because I think a lot of people have misconceptions, just a fight week schedule for you. For Todd Grisham, there's a fight in Dallas this Saturday. What would your schedule be like? Well, if it's boxing, most likely I'd probably fly in Thursday morning early. Get there, we probably have a... Uh oh, shit! We lost Todd. <laughs> okay, hang on one second. Uh, I'll call him back. I've actually never called someone from my line here on the show, so let's see if this works. Damn! Operator error. Todd hung up on himself. So let me message him, guys. Uh, has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Okay. Two, zero, uh -oh, three, uh -oh, uh -oh, four, uh -oh, uh -oh, three, four. Ignore everything you just heard. All right. Whew. I'm glad that whole number didn't come out. I'd have to delete the show. Okay, there's Todd again. <laughs> All right. Uh, Todd, what's up? Hey, man? sorry about that. I'm there. I'm there. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Dude, I call I called you back and uh the uh, voicemail picked up, and it's so the uh, first three, uh, three or four numbers of your uh, number just blurted out. I will uh, have to edit that out. But um, okay, anyway, I don't even know where hey, the hell I'm, were hey, we? I, Michael. Be, to be honest, Michael, I don't have a lot of friends. I'd probably appreciate the phone call. <laughs> just just, well, just throw it out to the world. Yeah. Say he's got three kids under the age of nine. Entertain him, please. All right, cool. Yeah, there you go, guys. Uh, just blow up Todd's phone and uh, harass his kids. <laughs> Uh, no, you were talking about. I'm worried about Sergio. By the way, Sergio Moore is the guy I'm worried about. He's he's texting me every day. He's like, bro, I I, 
I think I, I, I'm going insane, literally clinically insane. I can't stand it. He's got two young kids. Oh, and he, I'm worried about the guy, man. Dude, he's, he's got a great show on zone called Jabs with him and Chris Mannix. But if he said if he didn't have that, he'd be at the Looney Bin right now. Where do they shoot that show? Do they shoot that in L.A.? No, no, they shoot it from their houses right now. It's kind of oh, like a oh, party yeah, okay, interruption well, where Sergio's at. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, man, why don't you do more um, – why don't you have uh, guests call in on Skype? Do you just like, do you prefer the phone? Well, I have this, so I'm still, I'm not good with technology, Todd. I'm trying to, uh, I just figured out how to go live on YouTube and Spreaker simultaneously with this phone technology. And the cool thing with this is like, I can have callers from all around the world and I can have a bunch of calls oh, at yeah. the same time. So like if four people called right now, like if, if Sergio and Chris wanted to call in with you, I could patch all you guys in on our, this conference call and we could do it live together. So I want to get that piece added to it, but I'm still figuring it out. This took me long enough to figure this shit out. So uh, my fiance did most <laughs> of that work because I'm, I'm an idiot with this stuff. But um, I'm working on it, man. That would be the ultimate to where we could do like side screens and all that kind of stuff. But um yeah, yeah, just one piece at a time, you know. But um, I was asking you just if you could go through a, a fight week schedule. And we were talking about, you know, you going to, let's say it's in Dallas, and you going down there on a Thursday. So you'd probably get down there, what, for the fighter meeting, and then you could cover the weigh-in Friday. Fighter meetings, yeah. Yeah. Fighter meetings Thursday, a production meeting Thursday, sit down with all the guys 30 to 45 minutes in the next day. The weigh-in show, sometimes we air that on the zone where I'll host it. Other times they won't. Uh, then I'm just scouring the internet. I'm, you know, if you write an article about, you know, one of the guys fighting, I'll read that. I'll get all that stuff, get all my information onto notes, print them out. Each one is never more than a page because anything more than that, you can't be flipping through your notes during a fight. I've got everything in little bullet point form right in front of me so I can just glance down and know it's there. I know where I put his record. I know where I put her uh, date of birth, I know where I put his, uh, you know, birthplace, everything. It's all in the same spot every time so I can get it, uh, you know, in a, in a moment's glance. And it's it's tough, too, because sometimes I'll call so many fights. You know, if I'm calling 14 fights, there's times where I'll sit down and, and I, I can't even name you all the fights on the card just because there's so many. Right. So all the prep I do, I'm not really trying to memorize anything. It really doesn't do me that good to memorize it as long as I can get to it within a second or two seconds. You know what I mean? Yeah. If he gets knocked down, I know I can look down a certain part of my notes and know, Hey, this guy's never been knocked down in his career. So, you know, Oh, Devin Haney gets knocked down. I look down. That's the first time he's been down as a professional. You know, it's all that stuff right at the, at your fingertips that can help you a, a lot, at least from my perspective. Right. Yeah. I've kind of done the same thing. I mean, it helps when you go live, when you have that, I know like a lot of times there's like that media packet, but it's a fucking book and you just, you can't flip right. through that, you know? So you want those bullet points that you can jump to real quick. Um, yeah. you know, and, I, and believe it or not, you probably know this too. And, 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 sorry to interrupt, but you probably know this too. Sometimes you've got to go through those things, but fine tooth comb. Cause there's, there's been multiple times where I've relied on them a hundred percent and been wrong about something. Like oh, hell I, remember, yeah. I remember it happening in the UFC, Angela Hill, I think it was, uh, something happened to her. Uh, she was uh, choked out for the first time or whatever it was. You know, she submit, was submitted for the first time ever as a pro, blah, 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 blah. And someone goes, hey, you idiot. She was also tapped out at this event six years ago. And, man, UFC fans, MMA fans, they're the worst. Boxing fans, bad. 
WWE fans bad. UFC fans the worst. Really? I, I figure boxing fans oh, yeah, no would be doubt. the worst. Really? So, because that's one thing I wanted to get to with you is, dude, you you've worked in WWE. UFC, boxing, going back to the old school Friday night fights on ESPN. And of course now with right. the zone, I think you've called some golden boy shows. So you've and kickboxing, you work with glory. You still work with glory, right? With kickboxing. Yes. Correct. So, so you've been, yeah, they're all on the hiatus too. We, we had a, we had a big event scheduled for uh, June, a huge event, probably had okay. 30,000 people there, but it got postponed because the Netherlands is, uh, uh, they canceled the entire soccer season there actually. So they're really, they're, they're really shutting things down. Okay. Yeah, dude. I mean, this this thing is just nuts, and it's worldwide. I mean, there was some boxing in Nicaragua yeah. this weekend. I don't know if you saw that, but it was just odd. Oh, and, I watched it. Did you I watch it? it there man. Were, I, 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 what did you think I about the production, because, though, about seeing guys wearing masks, masks at the weigh-in, uh, just how quiet it was? Like, what did you think about all that? It's just – it's the new – It's the, what do they call it? The new – real or the new beginning the new or the new whatever the new norm i mean that's i think that's how it's going to be i just thought it was funny during the stare down they're wearing the mask and i'm like you realize when they're fighting they're gonna be drinking each other's snot and blood exactly. and sweat and does it really you know i mean at that point i think you should just go ahead and say well you know from this point on we're trusting each other that we don't have anything because that's the way it exactly. is but, I mean, that, that I mean, was literally the equivalent of like going down on a chick you just met at a party and then putting on a condom before you have sex just, I mean, just go with it at that point. You know what I'm saying? Just, just go with it. But yeah, I thought it was kind of, kind of, I don't know, stupid. But right, it was nice it was more, to see boxing. More, to me, it was more. Yeah, I think to me it was more. They were trying to send a signal that listen, we're being as, as cautious as we could possibly be. And apparently, there's hardly any cases in Nicaragua. But the more, the more live shows they can do, I don't care if they're Nicaragua or Hungary or Brazil or or Jacksonville, Florida. The more of these shows they can put on, the better for everybody because uh, one promoter sees another promoter put on a show, he's going to feel pressure, not just for himself, but he's going to feel pressure from his fighters coming up to him saying, hey, man, I need to make some money. I'm going to go fight for these guys if you don't give me fights. You know? Yeah. I think that happened with Bob Arum because um, you saw uh, Dana White was trying to do an event on an island, right? <laughs> he was trying to make like a fight island thing. Right. And that fell through, but I think yeah. it got people talking. And now Bob Arum's talking about doing some shows in Florida. Everything I've heard from all the commission people I've talked to and everything is to expect boxing to come back at like the club level, mid level shows, probably in July. Yeah. But um, I don't know, man. I, are we going to get big fights for by September? Because I'm looking at it this weekend is Cinco de Mayo weekend. Usually you get a big event right. around Cinco de Mayo weekend. That's not happening. Last September, Canelo Golovkin, that trilogy couldn't be worked out. So we didn't get a big fight around Mexican Independence Day. It used to be every year, the beginning of May, the middle of September, regardless of how shitty the schedule might have been throughout the rest of the year, you knew on those two weekends you were going to get a big event. And now we have it in a freaking year almost. It's driving me nuts, but yeah. Uh, what have you heard? I mean, you've got to be hearing something, right, from the from the executives at the zone. Do you speak with any of those guys? Is there meetings, yeah. conference calls? Well, I speak with people who speak with people. You know, okay. you know <laughs> a mean, guy I'm who knows a guy. John, I'm not talking to John Skipper every day on Speed Dial or Jamie Horowitz or Josh Santry, but I think just based on economics, 
if they go to Floyd, or if they go to Canelo Alvarez, who they owe, I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but twenty twenty million dollars for his next fight, are they going to say we're still going to pay you twenty million dollars to fight in a closed studio where we get zero gate dollars? Right. Or are they going to say Canelo, we'd love to have you fight, but instead of twenty, you're going to have to take fifteen? Right. Is Canelo going to take fifteen? If he doesn't, then they go to the next guy. I think it's going to be interesting. Canelo, I don't think. I don't know. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it's going to be interesting for fighters like Lomachenko who can sell tickets, but Bob Arum said in the past that selling tickets has been such a problem for all his, his fights and all his promotions right now that he, he doesn't make a ton of money off ticket sales anymore. So does he say to Lomachenko, I can pay you almost the same to fight Tiafimo Lopez without a crowd. Would you do it? You know, I think it's going to be those kind of fights we might see as opposed to Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. Right, right. But, like the third uh, Wilder yeah. Fury fight, you got to have the gate. That's exactly. got to go to Vegas. You got to have the gate. It's the same thing with Canelo Golovkin three. You got to have that gate. Right. So, I, right. I just, and I wonder what, how. You know, the same thing with the, I'm sorry, go ahead. The same thing with the NFL. Like these, these owners have all that money, but they can't pay the players the normal salary. If you're taking away their income stream of, let's say they make $400 million a year on tickets and concessions. If they don't make $400 million a year from that stuff, they certainly can't pay the players their full salaries because they don't have the same income. So I think every sport across the board is going to have some, some serious discussions with their athletes to see if everybody's willing to, to come on board with these things, to have events with minimal crowds or no crowds at all. Yeah, that's such a great point, man, because you would think that in these contracts, there has to be something in there like a, a quote-unquote act of God stipulation. I know that's in insurance contracts. I mean, if you and I get you yeah. know, home insurance, you know, if lightning hits a tree here and it falls down on my house, how does that affect things? I would have to think that, I mean, they have lawyers go over these things with a fine tooth comb, that there's something in there where they could pull back the money. And it's going to be interesting to see in right. boxing, which fighters are willing to take the pay cut and which are willing to sit in their ass and wait to make the big money. It may maybe exactly. they don't fight this year. Uh, there could be some backlash. And, and hey, that. hey, there's nothing. And like you said, it, it, it's not like this thing's a certain date. It's not like you can go to Canelo and say, "Hey, man, listen. Starting February 1st, we can have 30,000 people in stadiums again. So let's fight this." You don't know. This thing, this coronavirus, could come back even stronger next year. They're saying, "Who the hell knows?" Yeah. So if I'm a fighter from, tw and I'm 20,000 feet above, of course, I'm saying, "Listen, man, I want to fight. I'm going to take a, a, a pay cut to do it because I love the sport. I want to keep doing it." I want to make money for my family, and I don't want to let maybe, who knows, two years of my prime in my career go to waste. I mean, $10 million is better than zero. It's not as good as 20, right. but it's better than zero. Right. And unlike you know other sports, let's say the NFL, NBA, they have a lot of corporate money invested. They have TV money, huge, huge contracts. There's a little bit of that in boxing, but it's just it's not structured the same way. These guys have to fight or they're not getting paid, bottom line. Is it similar? I imagine it's similar in like WWE, uh, like glory kickboxing. It's It's got to be the same thing, right? Where if those guys aren't fighting, they're not getting paid. Correct. Okay. I mean, that's, that's the, I mean you, you've seen guys who miss weight the night before and the opponent can't fight. He drops out. If it's a smaller show, you just don't get money. I mean, that's the way it is. So, you know, it's like John Smith, Captain John Smith. You don't work, you don't eat. That's <laughs> yep. the way – uh, boxing is, and that's how it's always been. But the, to me, the good thing about boxing is it, it can, it's like the, the cockroach of sports 
you know, you can never, you can say it's dead, you can say it's done, yep. but it always comes back and it's always there. And I think we're in a unique position, especially, you know, a, an average boxing show averages what, 1,500 people maybe? I mean, that's not a ton of money. I think boxing can go to a studio. I know Dana White's trying this basically in Jacksonville at that stadium. Find a studio, you can get corona testing virus or corona testing every day if you have it, the, the, the test. You test everybody that walks in the building, and you just have put on fights three nights a week. I could see top rank or even DAZN doing that, just using American fighters. I mean, I bet that Nicaragua show on ESPN Deportes probably got quadruple the ratings it would have normally gotten because Absolutely. people like me and you that might have skipped it are, like, just dying for live, live boxing. And even gambling, man, we got a lot of gambling addicts across the country oh, that yeah. are betting on freaking – Russian cricket right now just to have action. I mean, you Dude, put they had, you put Gabe Rosado in there against somebody. I'm betting on it. Dude, they had uh, they had axe throwing championships on ESPN yesterday. <laughs> I shit you not. It might have been ESPN too, but it was axe throwing championships. I mean, they are desperate for content right now. So yeah, and I guarantee you, there were some dudes gambling on who was going to throw the axe, you know, better than the other guy. I know right now. Uh, gambling anything related to sports books uh and like even stocks like mgm resorts their stock is up boyd gaming anything gaming related is doing well right now because there's a lot of dudes at home in quarantine looking for shit to gamble on so yeah they need to get some fighters in the ring um i want to ask you because again you've worked wrestling mma kickboxing boxing i get asked this all the time and i really don't know because i'm pretty much just a boxing guy but for you, you've been around all of it. What are some of the big differences you've seen in terms of fans, demographics, the way the shows are promoted? Uh, you know, if you don't want to go too deep into this stuff, I get it. But I'm just curious because you know, I'd love to pick your brain on that. Well, I mean, there's a lot of different aspects. But when it comes to production value, uh, glory, kickboxing is pretty much the same standard every show. UFC, you know, obviously the bigger shows look bigger but it's the same production standpoint almost every time same graphics same look same interviews when it comes to boxing it's a lot more hodgepodge depending on how many cameras they've assigned to that event how many broadcasters they brought in how many production trucks and people every event looks a little bit different for good or bad so when i was calling a ufc event i knew it was going to be laid out the exact same way every show i was gonna have to do the exact same reads at the exact same time and that sort of thing but with boxing you never know what you're going to get. That's interesting. Because, yeah, because even with The Zone, I mean, some of the shows you guys do are smaller right. level shows. And, and again, with The Zone, one of the cool things is you guys show the whole card. So it doesn't matter if it's a small show, a mid-level yeah. show, or a huge show. Um, you guys are showing everything. So is it just a different le level of preparation? Because from well, a production you, you standpoint. The I'm sorry, go ahead. The, the most glaring example, the most glaring example was the Kovalev Canelo fight. I mean, it's time for the main event. The guys, no, let's just wait for an hour. Oh, that you know, was let's brutal. do this. Let's do, you, UFC man, when these guys are loaded up, they got that time. It's on. I mean, it's a it's a tight run shift. There's no, you know, Dana White has this iron claw. I mean, if Manny Pacquiao decides for 20 minutes he wants to stay there and hit pads in the back, what's going to happen to him? Nothing. But if you know, John Jones starts doing it. Dana White probably personally goes there and slaps him until he comes down to the octagon. So, you know, boxing's a lot more, it's a lot looser. And I would say on, on, a, on a pretty much every single show, 
UFC cards, kickboxing cards are much deeper. Um, you know, especially the big shows. I mean, you get the main event and everything else is just kind of, uh, we'll, we'll see what we put in there, you know, uh, UFC kickboxing, the co-main's usually pretty good. I mean, UFC, this next pay-per-view, the co-main is a world title fight for one of their few titles. So, um, Boxing cards generally use a lot more prospect and a lot more of the fights are way, are way more one-sided. That's why you get more upsets per se in boxing is because almost every fight other than the, the main and sometimes the co-main is at least like a six or seven to one favorite. You know, UFC, yeah. some of the biggest upsets in history of the sport are like seven to one favorite. So um, UFC cards, more competitive, more tightly run ship, more consistent production value. But boxing, obviously, expect the unexpected, and that's kind of what we love about it. You know, you never know what's going to happen on that given night. What, what differences do you notice between the fans? I mean, you talked about earlier how, for you, UFC fans have gone after you a little more on social media. Uh, right. Do you notice any other differences? I mean, is there anything that sticks out to you, including WWE? I gotta, I gotta imagine, I've never been to a WWE show, but I've got to imagine those crowds can be pretty raucous, right? I mean... Well, I, I always I always use this example. Uh, one time I was hosting a pre-pay-per-view show. So I kind of like a hype show to get you to buy the pay-per-view. And it was me and Maria Canellis, who's a diva. We're standing on this podium in the walkway of the arena, in the concourse, surrounded by fans. Everyone's cheering and screaming. And they're like, all right, we're going live. Three, two, one, around the world. And right when I'm about to start talking, the crowd starts chanting, fuck you, Grisham. <laughs> fuck you, Grisham. While I'm talking on the air, so those. But WWE fans, it's part of a show, right, and if you're right, not like yeah. the good guy or the wrestler that they love, they just basically want to poop all over you. So I kind of get that. UFC fans, it's almost like I feel that they are in a club, um, and they don't they don't want you to. You got to prove yourself even to become a fan of the sport. Now I made a ton of mistakes on air. I've done it my whole life. I make mistakes. I screw things up. We all do. Some right. bigger than others. We've all had some whoppers. Um, you know, whatever. I go out there and do my best. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. But they're just relentless. I mean, they uh, they like their certain guys. I mean, John Anik told me basically when he first started there, they bet about making him cry every night. They were just ruthless on him for four or five years. Then they get used to him, and then they love him. They used to kill Mike Goldberg like nobody's business. And then the day he left, he became the patron saint. Everyone wanted him back. I think they just like it's an aggressive sport. It's a it's a the whole sport is surrounded by machismo and, and right, energy right, right. and testosterone and, and I'm going to fight you. I'm going to kill you. This guy's talking trash. So I get it a little bit, but those fans were way less willing to accept someone who they didn't perceive to be one of their own. Boxing's not quite that bad and WWE could be that bad, but I was there for eight years. So they at least got used to me a little bit. <laughs> I've never been anybody's fan favorite. I think you're my number one fan, Michael, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Hey man, it's all good. Uh, that's interesting because <laughs> I I deal with so many detractors. On uh, there, I mean, there's there's videos about me on YouTube calling me all sorts of names and bashing the shit out of me. There's Twitter accounts dedicated yeah. to bashing the shit out of me, and it's so interesting. And I always wonder, is it like this in other sports? I guess it is. Uh, so very very interesting. Well, so, geez, okay. just go. I mean, even the, the NFL draft the other night. You know how hard that thing. Chris Berman said it's the hardest thing ESPN does. Trey Wingo's hosting that thing. Who, right. who, no matter who it was hosting it, just type in their name and do search, and you'll find 10% of the people are like, hey, this guy's doing a good job, and the rest of them are killing him. 
Because yeah. what I've found out, even if it's like at a restaurant, the only way you're going to ask for the manager to come over is what? If they fuck something up, right? right. This waiter's a blah, 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 blah. So that's what Twitter is. No one's going to write on and say, hey, Michael did a, a good job tonight. But if you mispronounce the guy's name wrong or you've got the wrong knockout record of this guy, then they're going to come, come on and call you an idiot. So you just got to deal with it. Yeah, and even worse, I mean, I've, I've learned this the hard way, but I like to have a little fun on Twitter. I mean, you follow me, so you see some of the, the trolling stuff I post because I, I just like to have a little fun. And some people misinterpret that shit. Then they come out, you know, the woke police come out with all their different labels and this and that. It's like, man, we can't even joke. We can't even have fun anymore, people. Jesus Christ, relax. But anyway, that's oh, I can rant about that for an hour. Uh, okay, we talked about the difference between the production, the fans. How about differences between the athletes themselves, between wrestling, MMA, boxing, just from your experience? I mean, you've done everything. I guess the majority of your experience, would you say, is a WWE? Is that where you've had the most experience? Or is it pretty even? Uh, it, by now it's about even. I mean, they all kind of blur into one. I mean, I've, overall, I'd probably call more, I mean, I'd call 50, I've done probably 45 kickboxing shows at 15 shows a night. I've called probably a thousand wrestling matches. I don't know how many boxing matches. So it's all the same. To me, it's just, it's just competition. It's just two people who wants it more, who's more skilled. I mean, it's this, it's the same story pretty much across the board. And I would say the athletes are, Almost the same. I mean, it's it's you versus the world in there. You know, it's not a team sport. It's it's one on one, mano a mano. So um, everyone has their own call it confidence, cockiness, abrasiveness. Some people are more humble. You get different characters in the game, right. but they all love the sport. And and ninety percent of them are doing it just because they love it, not because they're going to become rich and famous. Gotcha. Especially in boxing. I think you know UFC guys. You join the UFC, you win three fights in a row, you might be fighting for a world title. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how that sport works. In boxing, I mean, you got to – not only do you have to have a great record, you got to be attractive, you got to be fan-friendly, you got you to gotta draw good numbers, you know, you have to sell tickets. That's how you grow in boxing for the most part. It's not just skill alone. You get signed by the UFC, you, you don't have to speak. If you start knocking people out, Steve Miocic, he's one of the worst guys on Mike ever, but he's the heavyweight champion, you know? In boxing – he may never get a shot. Look at Dillian White. He's been WBC's number one contender for what? 700 days or something yeah. crazy? Yeah. yeah it's, it's so crazy. It's just, it's all, it's a lot more politics than boxing. That's for sure. Yeah. Boxing's just so much more global. I mean, that's one thing I always tell people. Uh, UFC, it's still relatively new. I mean, boxing's been around literally for centuries. And if you've come up through the amateurs, you fought against dudes from every corner of the earth. I mean, nowadays you're fighting against guys from Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, uh, of course, the Cubans, the Russians, the UK, all over. And, you know, that's one thing, you know, so you you really, really have to excel at a very high level. And then, like you said, you have to be marketable. And you have to be good looking. You know, you have to be good on the mic. I mean, a guy like Terrence Crawford right. is such a great fighter, but he's not as good on the mic as some of these other guys who are probably making better money already. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, yeah. Anyway, man, I, I can't thank you enough, Todd, for coming on the show, man. No, sure. For, for sure. Anytime, Michael. Once you get that video part figured out, let yeah, me know. Absolutely, man. We'll do it. Well, it'd be, um, it'll be fun. We'll have some drinks and uh, yeah, maybe I'm, we'll 
We'll uh, do a drinking game on a show or something. <laughs> that would be fun. I'm, I'm all in, brother. All right, man. Well, uh, stay warm up there in Connecticut uh, with the kids, and uh, hopefully this quarantine shit's over soon. And, yeah, man, let's have you back on the show. would love to do it. Thanks, Michael. All right, bro. Have a good one, man. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Todd Grisham. I didn't want to keep him too much longer. I told him uh, it'd be 20 minutes. We kept him a little bit longer tonight. But uh, we're having a good discussion. I hope you guys enjoyed that. So go ahead and get on the phones now. I see uh, a couple of couple of you guys have been waiting on hold, so I wanted to jump to some of these calls. But uh, I think Todd's awesome, man. I, I just think he does a great job. He seems like a cool dude. Uh, let's jump to the phones here. 773, you're on the neutral corner. Go. What's up? Um, just a quick point that I wanted to make. When you were talking about Devin Haney's situation earlier with the belts and a lot of the UFC guys, they say, as long as there's a, um, a sanctioning body that holds onto the belt and they're there for the fighters, it's, they're not there to make money and this and that, it's there to, for the integrity of the sport and this and that, and it'll, it'll help us out. But as we see, they're corrupt as it gets. They are doing backdoor deals and this and that. So I think that Devin Haney situation is a prime example. It's like he's a really young prospect who has the potential to be a big name, so they pretty much just gave him a belt. Didn't be anybody in the top ten. And I think some of the UFC fighters are a little bit naive when it comes to that. I think when it comes to the money situation, giving belts away, that helps them. But just these sanctioned bodies that have the belts, they're corrupt as it gets. And I, it's just they give away belts in boxing, it seems like. And it's real confusing the way they do it and how they pick their challenger. Oh, this guy's a mandatory challenger, but we're going to um, promote him to franchise champion and this and that. It's just so confusing and so much politics involved, like Todd Grisham said. But on the other side, I think they have a chance to make more money. So it's a give and a take. Um, yeah, and but fight, I'll leave it at fighters, that when they want to get. No, I was going to say, I mean, great comment, man. I, fighters like belts, so that's one thing. I mean, ask Devin Haney if he cares that his, he got his belt through the email. He don't give a shit. He's got a belt, right? So that's part of it. But then also, the sanctioning organizations are a for-profit business. They're not like a non-for-profit. So they're making money. And you look at the WBC, I think it's very obvious. At the, in the lightweight division, they wanted to invest – both in the Lomachenko business and they wanted to invest in the Devin Haney business. And that's how they found a way to get titles out to both sides. And then if they end up doing um, a title, I guess now for the interim title, Luke Campbell, then they're, they got some Luke Campbell business there. So these sanctioning organizations have figured out ways when you saw the boxing world kind of split up into different platforms, different promoters, different networks, the sanctioning organizations have found a way to stay tangled on both, both ends. You know what I mean? So they're smart, but yeah, I, I'm with you, bro. It's watered down with all these times. A, a lot of loopholes. They know every loophole in the book. And um, yeah, yeah. It's what are you going to do? All right. Thanks. I'll let the next guy call and take it easy. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, let's jump to another call here. Uh, let's see. Three, five, three. You are on the neutral corner. Go. How's it going, Mike? How are you? Yeah, good. How you doing, brother? 
I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, nice listening to Todd. I actually, I shame I didn't get a chance to ask him a question. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I saw in the chat that you PMA. had. A, I saw you had a question for him. I yeah. just, yeah, I told him earlier. I'm like, man, I'll keep. I'll just keep you for 20 minutes. I ended up keeping the guy for like 40 minutes. So I felt bad. I was like, oh shit, when I saw the time, I kind of rushed him off because yeah, I, yeah. you know. But um, yeah, he just um. Anyway, sorry about that. But um, what do you got? Well, first things I'd like to say is, you know the way you said the whole thing about calling the show for six hours and no one's ever taken him up on the challenge? You want to challenge him? I'll take him up on the challenge. Yeah, I'll challenge him. I'll do it. I'll do it for six hours. Same show, same show that he's doing. I'll do it. That'll be fun. Do it, I mean, bro. Do not? it. You got a YouTube channel. Not saying I'll beat him. I'll beat Jonathan Coachman, who I know is a former colleague of his who's terrible. No offense if he's a friend of his or not. Um, that's just... That's my own opinion. When you say Hassan, Dusman, Hassan Boy Dusmatov is a Russian 42 times and you comment more on Sinisa Estrada's career during the fight, you need to start doing a little bit more research. Oh, yeah, that's Let's right. Yeah. put it like that. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen that Hassan Boy's uh, debut. The commentary was terrible, Yeah, to be honest. But, um, yeah, so right, since Todd's not on, um, I, I have a question for you, Mike, right? right? Simple enough question. I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Um, when it comes to calling the fight, because I, I, I'm sure that you you've called fights on YouTube. I'm sure you've called a few total. What do you think is the biggest challenge for you in terms of keeping your emotions intact when you feel things have gone awry at the end of a fight? Because you know, there's professionalism versus being a I suppose the best way of saying this is a company guy. So what's the best way of keeping those two things intact without at risk of possibly losing your damn job? Because that's what I wanted to ask them on. That would have been a great question, man. Um, shit. Yeah, I mean, fortunately for me, none of the fights I've called live or scored, I've done some press row scoring, none of them have been controversial. They've all been pretty easy to score, pretty easy to call. And, you know, I saw things kind of happening. I, I do have a little bit of a, back, a boxing background. So, like, I can see things happening in the first couple rounds that I know are probably going to come into play down the line. And I was correct. So I kind of threw in some things into the commentary that ended up coming to fruition. Um, so it's been all good so far. I haven't had a, an instance where I've called a fight or scored a fight where it was bullshit, except for on my channel or something, which then I can go off a little bit more. That's different. Um, but that would be a great question for Todd. I think I have had instances though, of course, where I've been ringside press row and I've seen all kinds of unprofessional shit. I mean, just t terrible things, just amateur hour bullshit. And it's difficult to bite my tongue. You know, it's difficult not to say something like I've seen guys literally standing up and cheering for a fighter, a member of press row. It, I remember specifically at the first uh, Kovalev Ward fight, there were members of the LTBC, you know, not surprisingly, who were literally standing up saying, come on, Dre, use the jab. Come on, man. Standing up. There was one in particular, yeah. I won't mention them by name, but I was like, dude, sit the fuck down. And when I said that, a few people started like clapping and laughing. So, yeah, you do see stuff like that. But, um, yeah, fortunately for me, it hasn't happened Um with the cameras on, you know, or anything like that. But I would just imagine at that point, okay. bro, you just, you know, just keep it, go back kind of to your training and your practice, you know, and just, that's the thing. Like every episode of this podcast I do, 
in a sense, or like every episode of, of your show that you do on your channel, it's practice for those moments, you know, because I get people asking me like, dude, how can you just get in front of a camera with the lights and everyone and just roll and just talk and just go and not stutter and not fuck up or not worry about it? And I'm like, because every week I'm in my house practice, doing a podcast. Practice makes perfect. Yeah, you just, I fuck up here all the time so that in those moments I can try to keep my composure a little bit better. You know, that's all it is. All right. And last question before I did real, really, really easy. You've been rings, rings. So you've been in press row. You've been at weigh-ins, right? Have you ever seen in your opinion, a weight scale be fixed? Yes. Not asking for which weight scale. Actually I am. Which weight scale was fixed? Mike, (laughs) tell us. We want to know. I could tell you there was a situation for a fight last year involving someone who has a world title right now that I know did not meet the rehydration clause that was set by the sanctioning organization they fight for, the title that they hold. I know they didn't make it. I saw it. It was an IBF champion. It was not an IBF champion. I can't give you too many hints because you'll figure out who I'm talking about. But I saw it happen, and I was told by commission mm-hmm. officials what happened, and I know... Was this the Canelo? Was this Canelo Kovalev? No. I'm, Damn it. I'm not, I'm not going to give you too many hints, but um, this fighter who currently holds a world title, there was a rehydration thing worked in with because they have a title and they did not meet the requirements and everybody looked the other way. So that's a situation where the (laughs) sanctioning organization allowed that shit to happen. I've seen at the Clarissa Shields, I'll mention that because I think a lot of people know there was some stuff going on with the scale there with one of her fights. Um, So, you know, yeah, I've seen that stuff go on. Yes. Okay. All right. Appreciate it, Mike. Have a good one. Thanks All right. You too, brother. All right. Let's uh, – oh, we got a couple more here. Uh, oh, we got one more call from 818. You're on the neutral corner. Go. Hello? Hey, what's up? Hey, how's it going, Mr. Montero? Can you hear me clearly? Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, well, I just want to say that I've been a listener since the – undisputed channel days say like maybe like mid 2015 awesome so been a fan since then and i enjoy your work uh i wanted to talk about the heavyweights if you don't mind because you did a video a couple of days ago on the heavyweights that i enjoyed a lot where you listed the heavyweights from uh this past uh century right or like the past 30 years yes yeah so that was a lot of fun so if you don't mind i have two questions regarding heavyweights and then you could just take off from there and I'll hang up. Okay. Uh, one is what is the fight of the 21st century? The heavyweight uh, fight of the 21st century. Is it Lennox and Vitali? Is it Tyson and Lennox, uh, Vladimir and Joshua, the two Wilder and Fury fights? So that's the first question. Uh, do you want to answer that first or should I just ask the second one and then sure, I can... take off? Yeah, I mean, of course, these things all come down to preference. But um, I think that for me, I liked – some people thought the fight was overrated. But for me, Joshua Klitschko was the best 
heavyweight fight, heavyweight championship fight since uh, the Bo Holyfield fights. And some people would prefer Lennox Lewis's fight against Vitaly. The difference with that fight is it got stopped due to an injury. So we kind of got this, this ending that felt like, ah, you know, like right when things were about to get really, really good, the fight ended. Yeah. And with Vlad and AJ, it was kind of a passing of the torch moment, right? The, the last great heavyweight. And he had lost to Fury a couple of years prior, but it still felt like, okay, I'm passing off the baton to the new generation. Um, and it was in front of 100,000 people at Wembley. I mean, the atmosphere was insane. Both men were hurt. Both men were down. But in the end, the way it's supposed to work is the young fighter is supposed to beat the old fighter. The new generation is supposed to take out the old generation, right? And all that, that script played out. And it built up AJ. And, you know, everything happened with Ruiz last year. But in that moment, I mean, that was such a good fight. And you had back and forth. For me, that was the best fight, of the, the best heavyweight, ch- legitimate championship fight of the 21st century. Cool. And the next uh, following question regarding the heavyweight division is, uh, whenever boxing does resume, which heavyweight fight do you look forward to most? Is it Pulev and Joshua? Uh, White Povetkin, Usyk Chizora, or uh, what was the other one? I remember there was one more. Oh, yeah, the rematch, Fury. Yeah, the third fight between Wilder and Fury. I mean, in terms of, like, spectacle and importance for the division, I think that third fight between Fury and Wilder. I want to see, can Wilder come back from that dominant loss, that, that really, really destructive loss, and be competitive with Fury because I think that would be huge if he could just be competitive. For Fury, can he keep it up? Can he do what he did the last fight and repeat that performance or even improve further if he could get even better? So I'm interested in that. But in terms of just matchup, like wild card matchup, I think that Povetkin White fight, that's going to be fun, bro. That's going to be really yeah. fun. So, yeah. Cool. Well, I appreciate it, Michael. And uh, stay safe uh, to you and to uh, your wife and your brother. Thanks a lot, man. You too, bro. And thank you for supporting the show, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Take care. Uh, You too. All right. Let's, uh, oh, we got another call here. I-956. 956. You're on the neutral corner. Hey, what's up, Mike? This is Daddy Man from Laredo, Texas. What's up? Hey, man, I got a question, man. So what do you think? Uh, do you really think that Canelo and the Lofton fight is really going to happen in J-World, man, in Cowboy Stadium? I wish it would, but I don't and think you so. Th- and do you think it would sell? Do oh, I think, think it would sell. sell. I, I think they could sell 90, 100,000 tickets there if they priced them correctly. Here's the only way that fight goes to Jerry World, bro, is if the MGM resorts stay closed for the remainder of the year. If they end up now, I've heard things that, you know, apparently there was an interview with Jonathan Banks said Golovkin doesn't want the third Canelo fight now. I don't know if I believe all that. We'll see how it plays out. But let's just say they can make that fight for this September. I don't know if it can happen, but if it can happen, 99% it's going to Vegas because, again, they need that live gate. They need the ticket sales so that they can pay the fighters because those two guys, they're going to make shit between the two of them they're probably gonna make 60 million dollars or something for that fight so 
you've got to have the money, and a big part of that's the gate. You need $20 million that only a Vegas gate can do to pay those salaries. However, if the MGM resorts are still closed, which they are right now, then they'll start looking for stadiums. And then, yeah, it perhaps it could go to Dallas where, yeah, you're not going to make as much money, but you could get more fans in there and still do a pretty damn big gate. But I got to say, bro, if that fight happens, 99% chance it's going to Vegas, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the governor just opened, reopened Texas. So we'll probably end that. up getting some fights here in Texas. So, I mean, do you really think, do you think it's going to sell more than the Mikey and Earl Spence? Because, I mean, they did have a big crowd, but I don't know how bigger it would be. Yeah, so I was there for that one. Um, Spence and, and Garcia, That I think that was like forty five, maybe 50,000, something like that. That was a great crowd for that fight, man. Uh, great atmosphere. I, I just think the star power with Canelo. Remember, Canelo's fought in Houston. He's fought at AT&T Stadium before in Dallas, or I should say Arlington. So I, I, and San Antonio. I was going to say, yeah, San Antonio too. So he's fought there a few times. He's built a brand there. I think that he could fight anybody. When he fought Liam Smith, he did a huge crowd. I think it had to be over 50,000. So if he fights Golovkin yeah. there, yeah, dude, that's going to be, again, it's all about the way they price the tickets. But there's no reason a fight between those two in Jerry World couldn't do 80,000 pretty easily. Yeah, because. Yeah, because Canelo, he, he does have a lot of love here in Texas, and he does have a lot of hate, too. Yeah, both, but, both I mean, love and hate sell. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes hate yeah. sells more than love. So, yeah. I mean, if Canelo, yep. every time he's fought in Texas, he's done a big crowd. And he's he's had, if you think about his fights there, he's always had really impressive wins because he destroyed James Kirkland. That was in Houston, I believe. He destroyed yeah. Liam Smith yeah. in Arlington. Who did he fight in San Antonio? Uh, uh, he fought Trout. Oh, well, no. Trout. Was it Trout? Okay, okay. So that was a close fight. That was a real close fight. But that was a young Canelo still, right? He was still kind of a contender. Yeah. I know yeah. he had titles yeah. and shit, but whatever. He was still a contender. Nowhere near the guy he is now. I believe that was after the Mayweather fight, correct? No, that was before. That was... Yeah, because literally that was the only guy he fought before that Mayweather fight that, you know, he wasn't ready for Floyd. Yeah. This version of Canelo, yeah. I think, could beat Floyd. I really, really do. Uh, I know people think I'm crazy yeah. when I say that, but just style-wise, I think, uh, and now, you know, he's just fully grown. I think he'd give Floyd a lot of problems. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, bro, yeah. yeah. Um, Texas, man, you guys you guys, great fight fans down there. I, I love going to fights there in Texas. I've always had a good time, and you guys are definitely, I think, becoming a new boxing, like the hot market. You know what I'm saying? I think that there's yep. fighter, a lot of good fighters coming out of that area. Yep, you're right about that. When are you going to get uh, Vince Cummings or Kenny Keith on your show, man? It's going to be funny as well. Oh, Vince oh, yeah, dude, I'll have him back on. I had him on, I don't know, maybe a month ago or something. Well, actually... We just did we did a, a video talk about the heavyweights. But yeah, maybe I'll have him on yeah. TNC actually one of these times. I think that'll be fun. Those guys are great, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're they're funny and but they do know what they're talking about as well, so they don't just talk out of their ass, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, like, they've gotten things wrong, and they'll admit it just like everybody else. But, you know, when, yeah. when they actually break down a fight and they give their prediction, like, I'm actually, like, curious to listen to it. And I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of boxing writers who can't fucking score a fight or break down a fight to save their life. And Kenny oh. and Vince are two guys, when they give their opinion about a fight, I, I take it in. I don't always agree. But I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. They see things that boxing writers should see, but don't always see. Yeah, well, that was my comment. Uh, you have a good show. I always listen to you whenever I can. Usually, I always hear your podcast while I'm at work on my forklift. You know, awesome, um, dude. I grew you know, up riding forklifts, man. My dad works in the forklift industry, so when I was a kid, I was driving forklifts. That shit's fun. Anyway. Yeah, I love it. I love it, but, you know, it gets to you, too, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, after a while, <laughs> you just want to get the hell off that thing. But, yeah, I actually – I was helping um, somebody once on a forklift, and um, I, I smashed it into a wall and destroyed a wall once. So <laughs> maybe I wasn't yeah, the best yeah, driver. Yeah, powerful. Yeah, dude. It just yeah. – just, the forks went smashed right through a freaking wall. Um I was I was lifting up a guy to put up some light bulbs on the ceiling, and yeah. I turned around and boom! I just took out like a whole side of an office. So that wasn't good. But other than yeah. that, I'm okay on the forklift. Yeah. <laughs> but yo, yeah. thanks for I'm watching the show, man. For a couple of years. Oh, what's that? Yeah, man, I love the show, man. Yes, sir. All right, bro. No, I love the show, man. All right, man. Have a good one. You too, boss. Bye. All right, guys, I think that's it for today. Uh, man, what a good show. What a good show. Been going for almost an hour and a half. That was a hell of a lot of fun. Let's get that outro music playing. Oh, there it is. All right, guys, so, um, man, next week, the show, it'll be May. We're already four months through the year. 2020 has sucked. The first two months were awesome. The last two months have sucked. It can only get better from here, right? Please don't tell me it's going to get worse. I think it's going to get better. I think the worst is behind us. Anyway, uh, as always, guys, thank you for uh, tuning in and watching and listening. And please remember to subscribe on the YouTube and get the word out. Because the uh, corporate masses there at Google are killing me. Trying to hold me down and prevent me from getting 10,000 subs. I need your help to get there, guys. That's the goal. All right. So uh, have a good one. Stay safe. I'll see you at the fights.